let's um, read now from God's Word. If you have a Bible, please open at James 1. And if you're visiting with us today, we are working our way through uh, James, and we come to a section now about accepting or receiving the Word of God. So, James 1, and we read from verse 19. This is the Word of God. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And we thank God for this, his word to us. Let's um, pray before we turn to the word. Lord, your word tells us um, to humbly accept the word planted in you. And so we ask for that humility now and that ability to accept the word that's being planted in us. We know that your spirit is working throughout this place and throughout each of our hearts. And we ask that uh, we will receive what you have for us, this feast of your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I'm sure you've heard me quote A.W. Tozer uh, in the past many times. Well, uh, here is one of his best. He puts it like this. There is an evil... Now, he's writing this about, I suppose, about well, 70 or 80 years ago, maybe more. There is an evil which, is, which in its effect upon the Christian religion may be more destructive than communism, Romanism, and liberalism combined. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct and contrary religions. And then this famous line, it appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. What Tozer is saying there is what James is trying to drive home in this book, the gulf between being truly faithful and also being religious, 
or disobedience, the gulf between hearing and doing, the gulf between wanting to feel right and being right, the gulf between real faith or unreal religion. We're talking double-mindedness, having a split personality that wants truth but doesn't want to live out truth. In this case, it is about hearing and not listening, or listening and not doing, and we're going to look at both. But James is saying this is the core problem in the church that he's writing to. And he says, if it is not dealt with, it's going to kill you. It'll kill you, this double-mindedness, hence the importance of dealing with it. See, the gospel invites us to be whole. The, the gospel invites us into the beauty of being complete, single-minded, not double-minded. And in verse 18, if you've got your Bibles open before you, you'll see that James has told us that God has given us new birth through the word of truth. That's, what we, that's why we finished last week. New birth through the word of truth. But that's not the end. This new birth is not the end. It's only the beginning. And through the same word that gives us the new birth, we can bear fruit. Yes, life is filled with trials and temptations. We've already seen that in James 1. Yes, there are hard battles and disappointments. Yes, of course. But life is not necessarily to be fruitless, despite everything. In fact, in the face of everything, we can be fruitful. And the key to growth, the key to providing fruit, the key to maturity is to have the Word of God, the key to being single-minded in our faith, the key to wholeness is the Word of God. So let's get to the, the, the point because we have quite a lot to, to cover. Oops. There you are. Well, first of all, do what it says is the title, and um, there's a wee bit of delay in it. There we are. Okay, right. Listen. Listen is the first thing we've got to do in this process. We've got to create this attentive heart, verses 19 uh, to 21. My dear brothers, please take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. So we're moving, verse 18, from new birth into new life. And there's a battle going on for our hearts and minds. I assume you know that. There's a battle going on, even right now, for your heart and for your mind. It's certainly outside in the big bad world. That's what it's like. A battle between our fallen human nature and the world and flesh and devil on one side, and the Spirit of God and the gospel of God on the other side. But this battle was never supposed to end in stalemate. It was never supposed to end in defeat. Because everything we need to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil has been provided by God. Everything. How do we get these resources? How can we enjoy this victory? James says everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Quick to listen to what? Well, the word of truth that's been 
presented to us in verse 18, verse 21, verse 22, verse 23, verse 25. It's very clearly the Word of God that's being presented here. Listen, he says, to the Word. And when we do, the energies of our, our new nature in Christ from the new birth are stimulated into action. We find just the Spirit takes the Word and applies it to our lives, and we just live it out. We receive power. We receive wisdom, the ability to bear fruit, to walk the road of discipleship. So we need to listen. We need to listen. Now, notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't give us a, a daily Bible reading plan. He doesn't give us uh, instructions about what, when, and where to read. He goes much deeper because there's little point in having all the methods. You can have all the methods, all the study Bibles, everything lined up around you. But if we have not developed an attentive heart, if, we have, if we're not prepared to listen, then we receive nothing. In a sense, God is more interested in our attitude to the Bible rather than our actions with it, at least at this stage. His desire is that we might develop a listening heart, an attentive heart. And look, there's three parts to it. First of all, we need to have alert ears, quick to listen. Notice what he says there. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Somebody pointed out we've got two ears and one mouth, which possibly suggests that we should listen more than we speak. Tends to be the other way around. But most of us, let's be honest, we're not good listeners. I think as Paul Turnier uh, wrote this many years ago, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. Isn't that right? Dialogues of the deaf. Jesus continually, constantly rebuked the, the Pharisees with th this term. And you read in the Gospels, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? And of course, in one sense, they had heard, but they hadn't listened. And of course, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is the act of perceiving sound by the ear. In many ways, you know, unless you decide to stick your fingers in your ears, You've got to hear what is said now, even as I speak. Listening is something completely different. Listening is something we consciously choose to do. It requires concentration. It, it, it requires our brains to get engaged so that we take meaning from what we're hearing. Listening leads to learning. You can hear and immediately forget, but when you listen, it changes things. So, do you listen? Or do you just hear? A great talker rarely is a great listener. Hence the importance of verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen. I was sharing just with ABC before, the adult Bible class before, that I don't do silences very well. If there's ever a silence in the conversation, me and my big mouth, all I want to do is speak. 
That means maybe I'm not as good at listening as I could or should. You think I would learn the lesson. A young man approached the great philosopher Socrates to be instructed in the gift of oratory, be able to speak. And as soon as he met Socrates, he just began to talk in an incessant stream about himself, you know, me, 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 all about him, all about his hopes and plans. Socrates then lifted his hand and placed it in front of his mouth and says, young man, I'm going to have to charge you a double fee. Why? First of all, I'm going to have to teach you the skill of holding your tongue, and then I'll teach you the skill of using it correctly. We've got to be quick, quicker to listen. And we're not just talking about people around us. Listen to God. Listen to His Word. This is the beginning. An alert ear. So we're all hearing this morning, aren't we? Unless you're asleep with your eyes open, you're hearing, but are we listening? Are we actually literally sitting on the edges of our seats wanting God to speak, actually expecting God to speak? That's the first step. Quick to listen. A calm spirit, slow to become angry. Verse 19 and 20. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to, be, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. See, often when we are facing trials and troubles of various kinds in the midst of a broken world, we lash out at people. Oh, listen, there's any number of people that you can lash out against. There's always somebody else's fault. We get angry in our circumstances and our pain. But human anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Of course, there's a place for righteous anger. We've talked about it many, many times. But the suggestion here that it's unrighteous anger. The angry spirit is never an attentive one. When you're filled with anger, <clears throat> you'll not be able to listen. A bitter heart cannot listen. Cannot listen. And if you're a Christian and you're angry and you're bitter, then you will not hear, certainly not listen to God. You can't. Do you really want to listen? Then alert ears and calm spirits, and then a clean heart. Get rid of all moral filth, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of, the, of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. The word filth there is a medical term referring to earwax. I really thought about showing you the little clip from Shrek, you know, the earwax candle scene. Do you remember that one? <laughs> it's all gross. It is gross. But you know what he does? He just pulls it out of his earwax and then sticks it on the table and lights it as a candle. It's absolutely fantastic. It only lasts about 19 seconds, but it's the best part of the film. If only it could be as easy as that, getting rid of your earwax and make it into a candle. But seriously, earwax filth in our hearts results in hearing problems. James is saying that the moral filth of sin in our lives plugs up our listening. The moral filth of sin must be dealt with constantly and involves on a daily basis confession and repentance, 
so that we're clean. Our ears are unblocked. And we not just hear, but we listen. Evil and sin is all around us. You can almost touch it, can't you? It destroys faith. Every time someone drops out of faith, you can be sure it's to do with sin. And so easily we can be infected and contaminated. Now, I've I've never had heart surgery, but imagine I go down for my medical MOT and I, I go into the GP surgery and the doctor says, Al, you've got a bad heart. You need surgery. Why don't you just jump up onto the couch and I'll take care of it right now? What do you think my reaction would be? Go ahead. No, I would say, I think I prefer a hospital theater. Um, I think I probably need to lose a bit of weight. Um, I want tests on. I want, I want to be on diets. I, I, I want preparation. I want preparation. And then you, and somebody can do the heart surgery. Well, folks, we undergo heart surgery every time we encounter the Word of God, every single time, even right now. Do you know what's happening? You're on the couch in a hospital, and God is doing heart surgery on you. But for that to happen, we need preparation. In a sense, before we even come here, even as we sit here, preparation, preparation, preparation of heart and soul. We, 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 we don't want to come in and say, God, you know what, God, I've got five minutes. Do your stuff. <laughs> and then go on with life. That's not going to work. I know life is hectic and pressure is all around, but we need careful preparation. It involves alert ears and camp spirits and clean hearts. That's the first stage, but you know what? It's not enough. We've got to move on to the second stage of accepting the Word of God or receiving it. We need to have a teachable heart. It's just, you see, at the end of verse 21, and humbly accept the Word planted in you, which can save you. It's one thing to listen to the Word. That's good. It's another thing to accept the Word. And there's two qualities you'll see here. I'll stick them both up in case I forget. Attitude, humbly, and then an action, accept. We need this attitude of humility. And I think what James is doing here is seeing the contrast with the anger of verses 19 and 20, but this humble readiness to be taught by the Word, the attitude that says, yes, God, whatever you have to say to me. Calvin talks about the mind disposed to learn, disposed to learn. Unless we're humble, do you know what will happen? We'll think the Bible is outdated. How many millions think that that's the case? We'll think that God is harsh. How many times do we hear that said? And we'll think that the preacher is arrogant. Well, maybe sometimes that is right. But that's what happens when there's no humility. But with humility, do you know what will happen? We will learn to listen to God. Humility. And then there's the action of acceptance and accept the word planted in you. We welcome the truth into our lives. We invite it. We want it. We desire it. We demand it. What will it do? Which can save you. Do you notice that at the end of verse 21? Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. 
It's not the new birth salvation of verse 18, but it's the ongoing experience of salvation. You, you know there are three tenses of salvation. I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. It's clearly the second one here, no doubt. The Word keeps us free. The Word changes our distorted views. The Word deals with stubbornness and pride and clears our perspectives and calms our emotions and gives us hope. But we've got to accept it humbly. All of the words, all of the time, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. And some, of course, reject the word when it hurts. And in doing so, they reject the very thing they need. They reject the very medicine of God. I'm hurting. I don't want the word. When they should be saying, I'm hurting. I need the word. For that to happen, we need to get off our high horse and humbly accept the Word of God. There are three stages to this. You can listen but not accept. Or you can listen and accept. The third stage is actually doing. Have an obedient heart, verses 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James is saying here it's absolutely absurd to listen to the Word, to accept the Word, and then not do it. And so he's blunt there in verse 22. You know, don't deceive yourselves, he says. Do what it says. So if you're really going to profit from the Word of God, if you want to be single-minded in your discipleship after Jesus, then listen to the Word, accept the Word, do the Word. And, and for this, he has two kind of very rich um, or one simile that he uses in two different ways. The bad example and uh, the excellent example. The bad example, the man who begins so well. Don't, don't you see that there in verse 23 and 24? Anyone who listens to the Word. Yeah, he listens. That's a good start, isn't it? That's what we've been saying. Multitudes don't even get to this point. They're unwilling to listen, but he's willing to listen. But strangely, he doesn't do it. He's like a man who looks in a mirror and forget what he looks like. Because, of course, the word, the word is that mirror. Now, sometimes, of course, we have ways, kind of um, protections that we uh, exercise in our lives, protections and, and ways of dealing with the truth of God's Word. Sometimes they go a bit like this. We just we try and forget it. We just push it out of our minds. Or, or we compare ourselves to others. You know what, I, I might have problems. You know, I have a list of problems, but I'm better than him or her or them. Or we make excuses for ourselves. Or we try and rewrite it. Oh, maybe Paul didn't mean that. There are different ways we can have to, to deal with um, the truth of God's Word. But James says, don't delude yourselves. Don't delude yourselves. By just listening? 
Obey it. Do it. But this sad man, he hears and he listens, but he forgets to do big problems. But the excellent example, not forgetting, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Notice he looks intently into the Word. It means a studied, penetrating look. The first man looks. The second man looks intently. He's gripped by what he sees, and he keeps on looking. It's ongoing. Why? Why would he do that? Why would anybody look at the Word and keep looking at it? Because it's the perfect law that gives freedom, verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this. Freedom from sin and idolatry and double-mindedness and error. Freedom. And when you look at the words properly, you will see what God is really like and you will see what you are really like and the result will be freedom. You will see that He is totally holy and awesome and and powerful. You will will see the one who makes demands on your soul, yes. You, You will see what those demands actually are. You will see the horror of sin and rebellion. You'll see it all when you look intently into the Word of God and do it continually. And we'll be free to know God, to be changed by God and on going basis, to be conformed to the image of Christ and to be blessed in all that we do. This guy is the excellent example. He keeps looking and doing. He keeps looking and doing. He keeps looking and doing. And this excellent example has entered into the God-centered process. Seeing, knowing, doing, or, or three points, listening, accepting, and obeying. Anything short of this is foolishness. I wonder, are there any areas of your life that you need to um, look at and um, deal with? Where we have to listen to the Word, accept the Word humbly, and then do it in obedience. I wonder, are there any areas? Do you know, what, over years um, of ministry, you know, starting to say that more often now, isn't it? You know, do you know what one of the biggest sins in the church is having a critical spirit? It's wearisome. Pointing the finger at the church. Pointing the finger at other Christians. Pointing, 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 pointing. Oh, look how wonderful I am. Not them. You see, the critic listens to the word, accepts the word, and does the word. Now, what does that mean? It means the critic stops. And the critic learns to be an encourager. But what about the gossip? The gossip stops 
and starts to use their tongues in a decent and positive way. We'll be seeing a lot of that in James as he deals with the tongue. What about the liar? The liar stops and starts telling the truth. The hypocrite stops pretending and becomes real. The greedy person stops hoarding and starts to share. Do you see what it means to listen, to accept, and then do? That's what the word is there for. I'm just checking my watch. Have, you t- have I time for a story? Do you like a story? I'm going to tell it anyway. It doesn't matter what you say. Chuck Swindle, um, Charles Swindle, uh, used to tell so many wonderful stories, and some of them I remember. This one I particularly love. Are you sitting comfortably? It, it, it applies everything we just said. For a moment, I want you to imagine that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that's growing rapidly, American-based story. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there for a number of years to get the business established. I make arrangements to take my family in the move to Europe, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write to you regularly and give you direction and instruction. I leave and you stay. You get in the picture? Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out my expectations. Finally, one day, I return. And soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office, and I'm stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room, and she's doing her nails, chewing gum, and listening to her favorite rock station. I look around and notice the waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. I'm disturbed. I move in that direction and bump into you as you're finishing off a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What's going on, man? What do you mean, Chuck? Well, look at the place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. Sure, we got every single one of them. As a matter of fact, Chuck, we had letter study every Wednesday night since you left. We even divided up the personnel into small groups and discussed many of the things you wrote. Some of the things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two of us memorized an entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay. You got my letters. You studied them. You meditated on them. You discussed them and even memorized them. But what did you do about them? 
Do you? Hmm. We didn't do anything about them. See, on that day, that final day, where we face death or his return, when we stand before him, I think of some of the questions he might ask is this. What did you do with my word? And what will be our answer? Uh, uh. I didn't do anything with your word. Jesus is the Word, and He gives us Himself and the Word. You know what He says? I want you to not just hear, but I want you to listen. And I want you to accept it humbly. And I want you to do it. Each step, the whole way through. Listen, accept, do. Do what it says is the title of our sermon. And that's the way it is. As a church, let's not just become hearers and listeners only, but acceptors and doers. That will be fruitful in your own life, your family life, in our church and community. May God bless us and Enable us to do this. Lord, we thank you for this very clear, often blunt message to us. And we just long that we might listen, not just hear, accept humbly, not reject, and do obey rather than committing to our own thing. Lord, thank you that you are not only prepared to save us, but you're prepared to work in our lives every step of the way. Thank you that we need not be double-minded when it comes to the Word. And we pray that you will help us to be single-minded in our view of Scripture. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.